Now, I want to ask you a question. Do you think of yourself as being an impulsive person? Think about it. Are you impulsive? So does anything ever just slip out of your mouth without thinking? <laughs> yes. Do you ever just like buy something without planning? Like you kind of think you're window shopping and then you actually buy something. You don't try it on. You hadn't budgeted for it. You're not planning. Ever just go on a trip? Like just get up and go. You don't have a hotel. You don't have a game plan. You maybe don't even have the budget for it. Anybody ever just go on a diet and then grab that cookie, that chocolate, all the things you swore off just impulsively because you happened to walk past it on, you know, going through the office or sitting on the kitchen counter, whatever it would be. Anybody ever elope? <laughs> just go up and get married. Okay, I know that you're more impulsive than you think, so I'm going to challenge you. I want you to turn to the person next to you and tell in 30 seconds about a time where you have been impulsive in either thought, word, or deed. Ready, set, go. And you're going to have to find someone if you're not sitting with someone. Okay, did you find you were more impulsive than you thought? You remembered something to share with your neighbor. Well, let me comfort you because Peter was an impulsive guy. He was brash with enthusiasm, but he was shy on humility. And I think if we were to know Peter today, we would probably say he was cocky. That's how we would describe Peter. Um, he might, though, be our favorite disciple because of his impulsiveness, because we relate to him. He's so human, and we feel like we could have known him, that he's one of us. Um, but unfortunately, his impulsiveness did get him into trouble. In fact, it became a deep sense of sorrow for him because you might remember on the night of the Last Supper, when that was the night that Judas was going to betray him, when he was going to get arrested, Jesus was going to get arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, you might remember that on that night, Jesus actually warned Peter about something, but Peter was too slow to listen and too quick to speak. Jesus said, said to his disciples in Matthew 26, 31, he said, you will all fall away because of me this night. And Peter responded by saying, oh, well, though they all fall away from you, I will never fall away. Well, can you imagine looking Jesus square in the face and just telling him he's wrong? That was Peter. Peter had guts. He had guts, but he also had a really good heart because, of course, he didn't want to fall away. He didn't want to do anything to, to deny Jesus or to not glorify him. That wasn't his intention. He was one of Jesus' closest friends. But the thing was, Jesus wasn't speaking to Peter in that moment. Um, he wasn't speaking pessimistically. He was speaking prophetically. This is what he said, Matthew 26, 34. He said, truly, I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And of course, Peter's like, no, no, no. He's thinking, I would never, ever do that. He says to him, he says, even if I must die, I will not deny you. And yet, it was just a few hours later, Peter was weeping bitterly after denying any association, any involvement with Jesus, not once, not twice, three times, not to a Pharisee official, not to someone important, but to a servant girl. 
Peter was never the same person after this. In fact, his impulsive denial of Christ and his rash refusal to heed Jesus' words actually broke his heart. And it, it broke it open in such a way that God was able to begin a new work in him of grace and humility and spirit-filled confidence. That same Peter who said to that servant girl, I don't know that man, is the same Peter that wrote this in 1 Peter 3.15. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Later, we actually see that it was Peter who was the first disciple to confess Jesus as the Christ, as the Messiah. And on that confession, the church was built. Jesus being the cornerstone, every believer being a living stone built upon that foundation by that confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. So Peter comforts us because whatever your mistakes and my mistakes, whether they're really big or really small, Peter reminds us that our God is a God of grace. He can redeem our mistakes. He can, he can redeem our worst mistakes, whether those worst mistakes were by impulse or whether they were by carefully crafted design. We have a God of grace who is able to reach in and buy those back unto himself for our good and for his glory. That's our God, a God of grace. And this is the grace that we see in Peter's life over and over again. So we're going to get to know this man, Peter, tonight. And as we launch into our overview of, of Peter's life and our study tonight, we're going to look at first the man. So who is Peter? And then we're going to look at the message. What does Peter have to say? And what we're going to learn is that God invites us into a living hope by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. God invites us into a living hope by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. So let's talk about who is this Peter? Who is this man? Peter, we know, was a fisherman by trade. That was his craft. His name was Simon before he met Jesus. And we know that one day he was casting his nets into the sea. He was with his brother Andrew. They were doing what they do every day. That was their business when Jesus actually called out to them. And he said this in Mark 1.17. Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets, and they followed him. Simon and Andrew were the very first disciples that Jesus called to follow him. Why do you think he chose fishermen? Why would he choose men like Simon and Peter? They say that in the region of Galilee where Simon and, Peter, Simon and Andrew lived, um, men were typically kind of rough. They were often thought of as being hot-tempered, foul-mouthed, um, adventurous, but they were also known for being fiercely loyal. They were, these men were not formally educated. That doesn't mean they couldn't read or write. It means that they weren't educated in religion. They didn't have the kind of training that the rabbis and the, and the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees had. Um, they were hard workers, though, and they demonstrated incredible courage as they had to navigate those high seas, but also as they had to go into the fish markets, and they had to barter and sell their fish. They had to be tough. Simon was often called Simon, son of John. John was his father, so he was his son, and apparently they were in the fishing business together. 
It was a family business. But Jesus knew that Simon would become a changed person as he matured in his newfound faith. Jesus knew what his potential was. He knew that God had a plan and purpose for his life and that he was not only going to become a faithful disciple, but he was going to become a leader in the cause of Christ in the world. So Jesus changes his name to reflect his new identity. We find that in John 1 verse 42 when Jesus looks at him and he says, Simon, son of John, you shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. And on one occasion, Peter had a defining moment with the Lord. It was a moment where he realized, I think probably for the first time, that he was a sinful man and that Jesus was worth following. It happened when Simon Peter was by the shore. He was hanging out in his fishing boat. Jesus had come onto the beach, and many, many people were following him at that time. And so Jesus steps into Peter's boat. And in that boat, looking at the crowds, he begins to teach them, and people are listening. And then he turns to Peter in this one moment, and he tells him, he says, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answers, Master, we, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I will let down my nets. You can see, oh, yeah, whatever, okay, but we've already done this and it didn't work. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. And so they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw it, he fell at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken, And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Simon Peter, in that moment, understood that he was a sinner and that Jesus was worthy of following and worthy of learning from him. His identity was no longer Simon the fisherman. His identity was now Simon Peter, the disciple, the student, the follower of Jesus. But just like us, after we make a decision to follow Jesus, Peter wasn't perfect. Peter was still Peter. As we look at his story in the Gospels, he was still brash and impulsive. He was still unpolished. He was still at times emotionally raw. But he was also teachable, and he was sincere, which is likely why he was the first person on the planet to proclaim the deity of Christ. In Matthew 16, 18 through 20, we see this confession that he makes for the first time. It says, now it happened that as as Jesus was praying alone, the disciples were with him. And he asked them, who do the crowd say that I am? And they answered, well, John the Baptist... But others say Elijah, and others that one of the prophets of old has risen. And then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God. Can you imagine impulsive Peter being the first person to pronounce that Jesus was indeed the long-awaited Messiah? That he could put that together and know Jesus was the Messiah of the Old Testament that the Jews had been waiting for all their lives? Peter then became part of of Jesus' inner circle. Peter, 
James, John, Jesus. That was the inner circle. And he was privileged to experience things that that other people never got to experience. For example, he got to be present at the transfiguration. This is talked about in Matthew 17, where Jesus takes Peter and James and, and John and is up to the high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. See, in this divine moment, the shroud of Jesus' humanity was pulled back so that the disciples could see him in all of his deity. They could look at him and know that he is the Son of God. Can you imagine what that was like? Now, it's hilarious because Moses and Elijah are there too. And so Peter, being Peter, impetuous, impulsive Peter, he's like, okay, wait, we've got to make tents for everybody to dwell in. We've got to make places to spend the night. And he's thinking about how are we going to have a sleeping place for the evening when he experiences the second miraculous thing. He experiences the voice of God booming from the heavens. It says that Peter was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them and a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Incredible. Can you imagine what it was like for Peter to share such intimate moments with Jesus? Can you imagine what it was like to be included in Jesus' inner circle of friends? To see him in all his glory? To hear... The voice of God coming, booming down from heaven, saying, listen to this person. This is my son. I mean, what an incredible privilege. But yet, Peter's journey of faith was not so smooth. It was rough at times. Sometimes his journey of faith, it seems like, was as rough as the seas that he was sailing on. Because even after he experienced all of this with Jesus, he still struggled at times to trust and believe in the power of Jesus' word. One night, he was crossing the the Sea of Galilee, and this big storm comes up. And as Peter and his disciples are, are in the boat, and they're getting battered by the waves, they look up, and they see Jesus walking towards them on the water. Now, you would think that they would feel so relieved. Oh, you know, they're being battered by these waves, this violent storm. And you think, here's Jesus, and you'd think they'd say, save us, you've come to save us. But instead, they think they've seen a ghost. They're terrified. And Jesus tells them, take courage. He says, don't be afraid. So impetuous Pete, and he says, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Like, who would do that (laughs) in a storm? Just if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. And Jesus says, come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But seeing the wind, he became afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand and took hold of him and said to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind stopped, and those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, You are certainly God's son. The truth is this. Faith is a journey, and God wastes nothing in shaping us into fully formed Christ followers. Life is a journey. 
And God wastes nothing. He wastes nothing in our lives to shape us into fully formed Christ followers. One of the reasons I think we just identify so much with Peter is that we get to watch his faith grow. As we study the Gospels, we get to, to watch him grow, watch him discover, watch him two steps forward, one step back. We see him slowly maturing, slowly getting it. Peter's life illustrates the grace of God. And in fact, I love the story that immediately after the resurrection, when the tomb is empty and the women go to the tomb and they meet the angel there and the angel says to them, Go tell the disciples and Peter. Peter was included. Peter was singled out. God wanted Peter to know that Jesus had risen from the dead and he was forgiven. And I love that from that very first call on the shore when Jesus says to to Simon and Andrew, come, follow me and become fishers of men, all the way until the end when he is with Jesus on the beach post-resurrection but before he ascends, We see him growing and maturing and understanding and blossoming in his understanding of who Jesus is in beautiful ways. I love this last scene, John 21, where Jesus actually confirms his call on Peter's life. He says, it happened that when they had finished breakfast, so Jesus has risen from the dead, but he has not yet ascended into heaven. So he's in his resurrected body. And he's with Jesus on the beach having breakfast. And Jesus says to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he says to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. And then he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Now, Peter did follow Jesus. He followed him all the way to the cross. Peter, 30 years later, he was crucified by Nero in Rome. And historians say that he was crucified upside down because he didn't want his death to be the same as Jesus. He didn't He wanted to die in a different way so as not to uh, diminish the death of Jesus on the cross. And so he followed Jesus until his last breath. Well, you know what? We are a lot like Peter. We are sinful people. We make tons of mistakes. Um, But for each one of us, we also were kind of going along in our own way, living life according to our own plan, our own designs. And at some point, Jesus invaded our world and asked us to follow him. At some point, he said, come and follow me. And I do think that some people do experience those kind of instantaneous changes in personality and passions. I think there are people, maybe you are some, who when you met Jesus, everything changed. You instantly believed and you were instantly a different person. But I think for most of us, The moment that we decide to follow Jesus, it begins a journey. 
And it's a journey that lasts a lifetime. We grow, we mature, and sometimes we grow slowly. But I think about how slowly the disciples grew. I mean, think about it. They were with Jesus every single day for three years. They heard his powerful teaching. They saw his divine miracles of healing or of casting out demons. They experienced the resurrection, the empty tomb. They saw his resurrected body. Many of them stood there and watched him ascend up into heaven. They, they saw so many things, and yet they still were slow. In fact, after the resurrection, they thought Jesus was dead, and they were actually hiding in the upper room, afraid, wondering what was actually happening, though Jesus had told them over and over again that he would be in the tomb and he would raise to new life. They were slow in getting it, like we're slow in getting it. Sometimes I think we're so impatient with our own spiritual growth, that we forget how faithful God is. You know, God promises that he will bring to completion the good work that he begins in us. So my question first is, has God begun a good work in you? Have you received him as your Savior and your Lord? Do you know that first, that God has started a good work in you? And do you sometimes feel discouraged over the mistakes that you've made? Wondering maybe, well, how, how is God ever going to grow me up in my faith? How is he ever going to smooth my rough edges? How is he ever going to forgive my impulsive actions or relieve the guilt of my carefully calculated mistakes? I love that God works with our personalities and he works with our experiences to fulfill his best purposes in our life. Truly, he is a God who, by his grace, is able to reach into our lives and to use the fullness of our story for our good and for his glory. You know, I think about my own life. I feel like at this point in my life, I can look back and see how God has just blessed me with grace. In fact, it's interesting because my name... Mary Ann actually means bitter grace. I've always wondered how those two words went together. Um, I have an idea, but I'm not going to share that with you. But, I'm gonna sh- but as I look back over my life, there are just, there are seasons of my life where I feel sorrow. I feel sorrow that when I was a teenager and into college, though I had faith, I didn't really know what it meant to live according to God's word, and I made a lot of mistakes. I made a lot of mistakes, and that left a lot of scars, and I feel sorrowful that those years felt kind of wasted to me. In my early years of marriage, there was so much pain that a lot of my life just felt like survival. I was just trying to survive, and I feel sorrowful that like my, my 30s felt like I was just surviving and I wasn't thriving in my life, and I feel, I feel like that felt wasted at times to me. But as I've now been maturing and as I pray about these things and sometimes feel a sense of loss about those years, God is showing me how all of those experiences that I've had, have he's using them in developing me as a pastor. Because you know what? I get what it's like to live in the world. I get what it's like to make worldly mistakes. And as I sit with women in counseling in different situations, there's nothing that I feel like I haven't tasted I get what it's like to live in a super painful marriage. I get what it's like to experience a redeemed marriage. I get what it's like to sit with people who have lost people they've loved way too soon. 
I understand what it's like to have a child with a life-threatening illness. There are now so many things in my life that I see by God's grace, he's using them for the life that he's called me to, to be an encouragement and a comfort to others. And what about your story? How is God using your mistakes and your painful experiences to not only authenticate your faith, but also to, to give you a word of encouragement to other people who are going through similar things? How is he transforming your heart as you walk through this journey of life and faith with him? Because he's all about transformation. That's what we're going to see with Peter. He's all about change, all about taking an impulsive, rough-around-the-edges guy and making him into an eloquent expositor of the truth of who Jesus is. Well, Peter, he had a big, a big heart. And specifically, he had a big heart for people who were going through times of suffering. And so next we're going to talk about who did he write this letter to and what did he want them to know. So what does Peter have to say? First of all, um, where's Peter writing from? That's a little bit confusing. Where is he writing from? It appears that he's actually writing his letter from Rome. And we see that in his final greeting in 1 Peter 5, where he makes reference to being in Babylon. Now, this does not mean that he's in Iraq. He's not in Iraq. This is a term that's used to, to, to reflect where there's a, a place of central worldly power that is opposed to God. And so he refers to Rome as Babylon because Rome is the central place of the Roman government, and they are opposed to the gospel. And so we know that the date of this first letter is thought to be somewhere between 62 and 64 AD, which, you know, is roughly only 30 years after Jesus was resurrected. It's just not that long. I think about how it's just nothing for me to think back 30 years because my kids were little 30 years ago. Now, who is Peter writing with? So it seems that he has somebody writing with him. And we know that Peter is the author of this letter, but he talks about Silvanus. Now, Silvanus is also known as Silas. Silas is spoken of in other passages as being a good friend of Paul's. Um, Apparently, Silas was a leader in the Jerusalem church. That's where he and Peter met. And we know from passages in Acts that he was considered to be a prophet, which meant that he was an encourager of believers. So what is his role? We don't actually know. It could be that he was instrumental in helping Peter write in the Greek because Peter's first language was not Greek. So it could be that he was instrumental in helping him with some of the translation. That could be. Or it could be that he was just the one who took the letter to these places that Peter was writing to, these five cities throughout Asia Minor. We don't know exactly, but he's there. Um, Who is Peter writing to? Well, in the first verse of 1 Peter 1, we learn that he's writing to um, believers who have been dispersed. So they've been dispersed out of Rome, and they're in these five different cities that are throughout Asia Minor. Now, this is modern-day Turkey. That's where this is. So in 1 Peter, we hear his greeting. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. So there's a map for you to see where those are located in that area, which we now call um, modern-day Turkey. These believers had become refugees. And so they are made up of both Jew and Gentile believers, and they fled Rome because of the persecutions under Nero. So let me tell you about kind of why they're in the situation that they're in, what they're really dealing with. Um, He's going to reveal 
that these believers who are out in these cities are doing two things. They're simply following God's word, trying to live as holy people, and they're sharing the gospel. That's all they're doing. They're living very simple lives. But the persecution in Rome is heating up. And when he's writing them, he's telling them, beware, things are heating up here, and it's going to get a lot worse for you guys who are out in these other cities. Apparently what happened was that when Christians, Jews, first accepted Christ, they used to worship Jesus in the synagogues. So in the very beginning, the Roman government thought that Christianity was just a sect of Judaism, and so they didn't really pay much attention. But then they began to catch on that Christianity was not a sect of Judaism. It was something completely new. That's when the Roman government decided they were going to shut it down. Now we know that Nero was the emperor during this time, and he was a lunatic. He was a crazy man. 16-year-old, he comes to be in power. Thankfully, he's got a couple of governors who are helping him make somewhat wise decisions until he's set free to reign. And then he is responsible, they say, for setting Rome on fire. But he sets Rome on fire and then blames the Christians. He says it's the Christians' fault that Rome is on fire, which, which acerbates anger and fury in Rome against the Christians, which is what caused these many Christians to flee to these outlying cities. This hatred was spreading. It's interesting, too, that Nero was actually, he was just the first person, the first leader in the world that instituted an official persecution of the church, but many others followed in his footsteps. And so it's very sad. Nero was, the, was responsible for the beheading of Paul and the crucifixion of Peter. But at the age of 30, he took his own life by suicide. So what was the heart of Peter's message? So three things. Peter's going to talk to us about grace. He experienced grace, he lived it, and he's going to talk to us about it. In 1 Peter, there's three different aspects of grace that we're going to learn. The first is he's going to talk to us about grace to live in hope. This is going to come from chapter 1 through chapter 2, verse 12. In 1 Peter 1.3, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Specifically, he's going to remind us that we have a hope that we live in every day. And it's a hope in the promises of God that Jesus is coming back and that we are going to live a resurrected life with him forever. And this is our living hope that we get to live in even in the midst of a broken world. Then he's going to talk to us about grace to stand firm. We're going to see that in the middle of chapter 2 through verse 411. He's going to tell us how we can stand firm living in a broken world. And in 1 Peter 3, 6, he summarizes it really overly simple, I think. He says, do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. How easy is it to not fear things that are frightening? It's pretty hard. But he's going to help us stand firm, especially in our day and age as the world is becoming increasingly hostile towards Christians. He's going to challenge us. Do good so you can put to silence people who are the ignorance of foolish people. He's going to say, live as people who are free, free to live as servants of God. He's going to say, honor everyone, love your brother. He's going to say, fear God, honor the emperor. He's going to remind us that God meets us with his grace and peace as we live life in a broken world, that Jesus is our source of hope in hurtful times. And then he's going to tell us he's, that we're going to have grace to rejoice. 
Verse 413 says, But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. So Peter's going to remind us that we all are going to have painful trials, but the painful trials aren't the end. That God meets us with his grace as we work through difficult things. Now, we should stop for a moment and define grace. What is grace? Grace is God's generous favor on undeserving people. Every single one of us is undeserving, and every single one of us, are, is, we are recipients of God's grace, his favor, his love, his kindness, his compassion, his tender loving care. Now, we are all undeserving of this because, like Peter, we all make mistakes, Right? We, um, we make lots of mistakes. Even after we come to faith, even as we're growing up in our faith, we make lots of mistakes. But God meets us with his grace to help us endure the hard things and to turn our trials into triumphs. And we know, of course, that it's God's grace that saves us. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The whole book of 1 Peter can be summarized in two words. Grace and glory. God's grace and God's glory. The grace of Christ and the glory of Christ. Um, 1 Peter 5.10 is a good summary verse. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. I just want to say this. This is the truth that I see as we look at 1 Peter. And that is that God's grace is enough for whatever you're going through tonight. God's grace is enough. You don't need more than God's grace. Whatever it is. What are you facing right now that seems too hard? God's grace is enough. God's grace will restore you, confirm you, strengthen you, and establish you. Jesus will meet you with his grace. Ask him. Ask him to show you his grace. We're going to just be learning so much about God's grace as we go through these next few months. And it's really amazing as we are going through First and Second Peter to be reminded of the man, to be reminded of his story, to remember his discoveries about Jesus, the miracles that he experienced, the failures that he experienced, the restoration that he experienced. His life speaks volumes, illustrates what grace looks like, and we live that same story because we have the same God, we make the same blundering mistakes, we have the same rough edges, and God meets us with the same grace that is sufficient for us. I'd love to just kind of end this time by showing you a video that I think will bring a little humorous touch on Peter's life, especially in his relationship with Jesus. Watch this. Grace is God's unmerited favor for us, his crazy love. And the truth is, many times we struggle understanding it. If you find yourself struggling to understand God's grace, don't beat yourself up. Even the disciples struggled with understanding grace. 
Jesus, is that you? You're alive. I can't believe you're alive. Okay, I was in the boat and I wasn't catching any fish, okay? But I heard this voice and the voice said, cast your net to the other side. And so I'm thinking, I'm a fisherman. I know what I'm doing, but I'm not catching any fish, you know? And so I throw that net over there and then a gaggle of fish pop into that net and I'm going, this is a total miracle. Who could have done that? I need to know who told me to throw the net to the other side. And boom, I look up and I mean, there is you. You're looking at me on the seashore going, it is I, the Lord. And you're alive. I can't believe you're alive. This is awesome. Andrew, get out of the boat. Come on. Peter. Yeah. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. I love you. You're alive. This is so great. Good. And, then feed my sheep. Andrew, get out of the boat. Come on, man. It's him. Peter. Yeah. Do you love me? I love you. Yes. And I'm so sorry about that rooster cluck, and I had no idea what that meant, but I do not. I'm better for it, all right? Okay. Then feed my sheep. Andrew, I'm smiling, but I'm serious. Come on, get out of the boat. It's him. Peter. Yeah. Do you love me? Jesus, mere words cannot describe the passion that I have for you. I love you. You know everything. I love you. Good. Good. Then feed my sheep. I didn't even know you had livestock. That is so like you, though. There's something new about you all the time. That's what I love about you. Peter, yeah. do you remember uh, the morning the ladies went to the tomb? Yeah, 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 yeah. We're all in the upper room trying to figure out what to do next, you know, because we thought you were dead. You know, you were dead, you know, and we're trying to figure all that out, you know. And Mary comes running up, and Mary's like saying, beehive, beehive, beehive. And I'm thinking, I'm allergic to bees. Like, keep them out. You know what I'm saying? But as she kept getting closer, I heard her correctly. She was saying, he's alive, he's alive, he's alive. And we're going, who's alive, who's alive? And she said, she was at the tomb, and the tomb was empty. And she said that the, there was an angel there. And the angel said, go tell the disciples and Peter that everything is okay, he is risen. And so me and John, we hightailed it down there. And if John says he beat me, he's totally lying, all right? I beat him, FYI, all right, you know? And we get down there and I'm looking in that tomb and it is, it is empty. There's nothing in there, you know what I'm saying? And I'm like, what does this mean? What does this mean? And John is right there. John is so good with words. He should write a book. He is so good with words. And John said, don't you get it, Peter? This is everything Jesus said he was going to do, and you did it, and it's done. Let's go. This is so great. Wait, yeah. the angel said what? Uh, go tell the disciples and Peter that everything is okay. He is risen. You've risen. Let's go. This he is said what? Go tell the disciples and Peter. Go tell the disciples and Peter. You said my name. Why did you say my name? Peter, that's grace. No, no, I don't, I don't deserve that because that night people kept coming up to me asking me if I belonged to you, if I was with you, and I kept denying you left and right, all right? No, no it'll take me my whole life to make up for what I did. It was unforgivable for no, what I did. No, What I did on the cross was meant to take what is unforgivable and make it forgivable. That's my grace. It's not about you. It's always about me. That's grace, Peter. Will you stand? Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for the gift of grace. If it were not for your grace, wouldn't be able to even stand before you right now and know that we are forgiven, that we are loved, that we are seen, that we belong to you as your children, we're chosen. Lord, it's because of your grace through Jesus, by faith, 
And so, Lord, we just want to say thank you. Thank you. Thank you for Peter's life. Thank you for his faithfulness. Thank you for his transparency. Thank you for preserving his life story in Scripture that we might so identify with him. Thank you for reaching into each one of our stories, even if it's just to bring us here tonight. Lord, that's evidence that you have brought us here by grace to reveal yourself to us, to teach us about yourself, to remind us that you are with us as we journey through life in this broken world. And Lord, we pray that we would understand more about your grace as we embark in these next few months of this study. But Lord, we need your grace tonight. We need your grace to comfort us, to give us hope, to assure us that we belong to you, to open our hearts and minds to understand your word, to understand who we are before you. Lord, we need you. And so I ask that tonight, would you let your grace fall on this room? Would we feel so enveloped by your presence that we'd be deeply encouraged, no matter what we're going through in our lives, that we'd be deeply encouraged that you are with us, that you love us, and that your grace is enough. We ask this in the power of Jesus' name. Amen.